Hello, and welcome to episode two of the SensiLab uh, Creative AI podcast. I'm John McCormack, the director of SensiLab, and joining me at the console today is physicist and PhD researcher Nina Redzic. Hello. Hi, Nina. Hi. And as usual, musician and AI researcher, Dr. Patrick Hutchings. Hey, Pat. Hello. So our topic today is uh, AI and music. So in the last couple of years, AI has increasingly been used as a tool for musicians to help them compose music. But now, beyond just being a helpful tool, people are starting to talk about AI autonomously composing music. And we've seen a lot of high-profile videos and uh, albums released that claim to use AI as their, their main method of the music being composed. And so they're trying to reach a human level of competency and not just a standard human level, but a sort of smash hits human level of competency. Um, yesterday, Google's Google Doodle uh, used a convolutional neural network to generate Bach style harmonizations from an input melody. And the Magenta team at Google have put up a blog post explaining in detail how they did that. So um, maybe we should start by just having a bit of a listen to that and seeing what it sounds like. So that's just a little excerpt from um, the CocoNet composition from uh, Bach Chorale. Um, Nina, what do you think of that? Are you a Bach fan? Um, not necessarily, no, but <laughs> it's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Did, could you like play around with settings and kind of uh, generate I your own? I think just... maybe it. I think you can. It you feed in a, um, a melody and it does the harmonization, but it will also do composing from scratch. It's basically, I think, uh, I haven't really read the blog post in a lot of detail because it only just came out. But it's working out harmonization, but it's also filling in missing information. Pat, do you know yeah, more? So, so they're calling it an infilling algorithm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite nice. Uh, I like the fact that they've got it in the the browser. Yeah, you can play with it. Um, something good about the Google Magenta team as well is that they do post these quite readable blog posts to to go along with new models that they put out. Mm. Uh, they often put out the source code and <laughs> papers and things. Um, yeah, this was a fun little doodle. I, you know, it's I don't think it's state state of the art um no. you know have got it running in the browser and things but it's mm. yeah it's kind of a fun hands-on tool yeah so just sort of speaking of that Bach seems to be a popular person for people to use in their machine learning models and so uh what 30 years ago uh david cope was working with Bach as well and his uh, program emmy experiments in musical intelligence which as i understand it used transition grammars it wasn't using neural networks uh, was considered to be state-of-the-art back in the 90s. Let's have a quick listen to David Cope's version of Bach in comparison. So apart from the fact that, you know, he's using real singers and things, yeah. is it as good, better, not as good? Has technology really improved over the last 30 years? Mm -hmm. Was that 30 years ago? Yeah. Nin well, uh, 90s, I think. 1990. So I guess 20-something years. Yeah, 20-something yeah. years maybe. Okay, let's not exaggerate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think this has been a real challenge in computer music in that David Cope stuff sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, but in terms of AI, it's not 
super interesting. Um, so why, why isn't it super interesting? I mean, it, at the time, you know, I remember there was a. Uh, I remember seeing Douglas Hofstadter giving a talk, and he was he was really sort of conceptually shattered by the idea that a machine could make music that was as as good or almost as good as some of humanity's great or considered humanity's greatest composers, at least in the Western tradition. So wasn't that a big technical breakthrough, perhaps bigger than the Google Doodle? Oh, I, absolutely. But I, I guess my point is that since that exists, there's no longer any reason to keep just using that same model over and over again. You know, as, as researchers, our, our job is to find new and interesting ways of doing things. Um, and there are definitely limitations to those techniques. So one of them is that you can train a, a model to ape the style of a particular composer, but you don't get a, a generalist kind of model that can produce different styles or even copy uh, different composers. Mm. Um, whereas I think what, what people are trying to do with deep neural nets now is to have these more generalized models that are the system's learning its own rules through observation. I'm pretty sure David Cope never published his code or really wrote, I mean, he wrote quite a lot of books that describe the technique, but it was never really, as far as I know, taken up as a kind of common system that people could use for generalized composition. I think a lot of the success of it was down to the fact that David Cope was a very competent classical musician, he was a classically trained musician, and so he put a lot of musical knowledge into the system, whereas certainly with the neural net stuff, there is a lot of musical knowledge being put into the system, but a lot of it's been more learnt statistically. So it wasn't AI that David Cope used? Well, it was called AI at the yeah. time um, okay. because AI means so many different things. It doesn't just mean neural nets, even though some people think that's the case now. And, you know, as I said at the time, you know, Douglas Hofstadter was sort of questioning his whole kind of raison d'etre as, as a human, really, if a machine could do something that sounded as good as what a human could do and not just your average musician, like one of the you know, most revered musicians um, in the Western canon, then what what was left for human creativity? Because that was Hofstadter's big you know, question, I guess, is what what is human creativity? Well, yeah, and but there's also the thing about copying somebody's style as opposed to inventing a new style. I mean, Bach's music is somewhat formulaic. Uh, the exciting thing about Bach is that he developed a lot of those kind of formulaic approaches himself, hmm. um, and that's what made him a, a genius. Um, there are many, you know high school university students that you can find that could probably ape Bach's style just as well as David Cope's algorithm did. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of copying genres, let's have a listen to uh, Daddy's Daddy's Car, which um, is, um, well, we'll talk about um, how it was made and who was behind it after we've had a quick listen to a couple of um, seconds of it. So that's just a quick excerpt from Daddy's Car. You can listen to the whole track on on YouTube. It's had uh, 2.2 million views. Um, a song composed by artificial intelligence in the style of the Beatles. So, does it sound like the Beatles to you, Nina? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting catchy the more I listen to it now. Yeah. Every time I hear it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. That's not meant to be a a really positive review. Just uh, getting a little bit used to it now. Okay. How was it made, Pat? Do you want to talk us through how it was actually done? 
Um, <laughs> I, I, I know that um, the, the team that put it together at Sony CSL were very big into Markov constraint models um, and they do have their flow machines system that they've been talking about. Uh, and they also had a composer who wrote the lyrics and yeah. uh, helped with the arranging and production of the track. So it's not quite clear how much of that is AI written. And they haven't specified? No. My understanding is that I think some lead sheets were generated yeah. from it. Um, it generated a lot of them and they hand-selected the one that they liked the best. And then uh, humans were involved in the arrangement, the recording, the instrumentation, the playing, pretty much everything else to produce the final piece. And it does, it's, you know, it's very highly produced and sounds like a kind of reasonably good contemporary track. I mean, it's had 2.2 million views, but would, 2.2 million people want to pay for this kind of music. Nina, would you I pay think, for it? I think they were just curious. They're just curious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it would, it would be a fascinating stat if, if this had 2.2 million views and they never told people that it was an AI produced track and it didn't mm. get all the mainstream media attention that it got pointing to that link. Yeah. So I guess one of the technical advantages of the software is that it can kind of parasite onto any kind of musical genre. So let's have a quick listen to another track composed with the Flow Machines um, software. This time is in the style of uh, Duke Ellington. So that's sort of like a country and western version of Duke Ellington, is it? Or <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. What's it just going sounds on with like a one. sad robot, but yeah. I kind of like it. <laughs> I I don't get the robot voice. Um, I don't <laughs> really. It's AI. Of course, it's yeah. a robot voice. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't hear a lot of the the musicians that they they said. You know, I think they listed Duke Ellington and Cole Porter. Right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what's going on with this one. So less convincing, only 650,000 oh, views, but still go. that's a pretty Reducing reasonable, numbers, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a logarithmically declining <laughs> uh, series. Anyway, but, you know, certainly the, the technology behind the software and the people behind the software were considered to be probably one of the world's leading um, research groups. They were, as everyone probably aware, they were bought out by Spotify. So Francois Pache and his team moved from Sony to Spotify and they're, they're based there now. Do we know anything about what they're doing at Spotify? This is actually one thing I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. The one little interest I have that apparently they're making AI generated tracks with like phantom artists and now filling like populating the like popular playlists. This is just, I don't know if this is actually true or not, but they're populating the popular playlist so they don't have to basically, they don't have to pay royalties to the artists. Okay, so I th I know true? that was a rumor that went around. Is it? I don't know if it's true or not, though. I don't. I don't know either. Have you heard that? Uh, I have heard that, and I believe it was actually written written up in an article somewhere. Could be fake news. Could be fake news. Could be fake news, but it does it does raise the interesting question about do people want to listen to music that isn't composed by a person if it sounds like Muzak? Mm. I mean, what makes music special? You know, because if you look at over. Um, a talk that I uh, sometimes give and I've got a slide. It's got four images over four different decades of people at music concerts and mm. um, it's it's lots of teenagers screaming and crying and looking really, really emotionally mm. 
engaged. If you look at the the kind of mania that went along with the Beatles, when the yeah. Beatles performed, they stopped performing because the fans were just screaming so loud they couldn't even <laughs> hear their own instruments. So, you know, music performance at least triggers this incredibly powerful emotional response, particularly of, for people of a certain age. And everyone, you know, there's lots of research to show that in, in the sort of adolescent years is when you sort of form your musical culture and that becomes something that has a sort of a determination on what you think about music for the rest of your life. Could we ever get that from an AI, do you think? At the, I can kind of imagine it because at the moment there's a few, I'm gonna, I can only think of one, but basically not AI generated, but computer generated like personalities on social media like, I don't know if you guys have heard of any. Computer-generated personalities. I, I know the Deep Drumpf one on Twitter. That's quite funny. <laughs> I just mean, I think one's called, like, Lil Michaela or something like that. And it's basically just, like, this weird, like, 3D-rendered person. And, and, yeah, they have, like, an Instagram page. And they have, like, fans. Like, it's really, like, and they, they have a personality even. I don't know how much, like, who, you know, if it's a team of people or, like, how much it's computer-generated, but... You can kind of like see that that would maybe work with being then a performing artist, like with uh. the age of social media. So maybe I'm, I don't know, I'm optimistic, maybe. Look, it's, it's going to happen. Um, whether it's, it's a, going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's going to happen, but will it be music or will it be music? Both. People have an amazing ability to infill things that aren't there. Mm. Um, so if they want to imagine an emotion behind something, mm. they they can imagine that and then they can feel it. Mm. So it's very easy to, to project. And this happens a lot with, with AI, mm. um, especially, you know, the current state of AI is really kind of very large matrices being multiplied. And we still project personalities and feelings and things onto these systems that they, they don't necessarily have in in definitely not in the, the way that we do. Mm -hmm. So I think people will, mm. they'll get into it and people will say that they get as much emotional fulfillment out of that. And it's really just an extension of something that's been going on for centuries. Uh, you, you'll hear classical music fans claim that someone who's into EDM is, is not getting the same kind of emotional expressive piece of, of yeah. musical creation that, that the music that they listen to. But yeah, taste is a powerful arbiter, isn't it, of, yeah. of what's what's quality and what's not. I, I do have an interesting um, uh, quote here from Nick Cave, though. Nick Cave is a fantastic Australian musician. Um, and Who also, doesn't live in Australia anymore. Why? We'll claim oh. him still. <laughs> I saw him in South Yarra a few weeks ago. So. Okay. Really? <laughs> I'm jealous. So he had a, uh, someone was asking him about AI and music, and he had this, this great line, which was, uh, we go to songs to make us feel something, happy, sad, sexy, homesick, excited, or whatever. But this is not all a song does. What a great song makes us feel is a sense of awe. There is a reason for this. A sense of awe is almost exclusively predicated on our limitations as human beings. It is entirely to do with our audacity as humans to reach beyond our potential. I think there's something to that. The, the reason why you might enjoy a particular musical performance is because you see how much a person is putting into it how much effort um mm. that went into that performance in into getting the skills to create that performance mm. and part of what makes you enjoy it is that awe of what a human like you has been able to do right um and if it's a computer generating it you might not have that same sense but if you think about the sort of mass commodification of music and so now you know every piece of music is streamable without 
any performative context. It's just digital information that you listen to uh, in your headphones whenever you want, wherever you are. Doesn't it sort of belittle that whole concept? And that, and yet it's it still reaches sort of mass penetration, mass popularity. Music tracks are ads now. <laughs> they are. They're well, but I, I don't listen to music and think of it as an ad. I, I mean, I, I listen to music and I often like to see the people who I listen to perform if they, if, you know, if I can. Mm. But then there's also the people who are dead or can't perform or don't perform or mm. whatever. I still enjoy that music. Certainly. And, and there will continue to be people like you who enjoy that music. We are strange people. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, I mean, the, the market that we're talking about is, is, is people who are potentially going to stop listening to people and will start listening to an AI. And I think that's the same kind of demographic that the current marketing is towards giving music tracks as basically we give music away for free now. Like artists don't really make much money from Spotify yeah. or Apple mm. Music or Tidal or something. They put tracks out there so that people will spend $300 to go to a concert and see them live. Right. And if you can't back that up with the live performance, then right. there's no point in putting out those those tracks because they don't make that much money anymore. But yeah. artists make a huge amount from touring and you need to have that live performance. You need to have that to pull that off. So that could be an untapped market for AI is basically generating live performances or giving you direction as to what to do if you... <laughs> If you're if, if the AI is writing the music for you, you probably want it to also help you with other aspects of your life. I mean, yeah, and there's the. Do you guys know the Hatsune Miike? No, the, the virtual Japanese idol. Oh yes, sorry, yes, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, that has um, holographic performances yeah. Yeah. Um, throughout Asia that have tens of thousands of people that turn up to it. But it's nothing to do with AI, right? They've just. Well, no, but my point is that you could create a virtual oh, person to perform your AI. Um, I was just getting excited then. I was like, is that to do with AI? That'd be amazing. So, so what about co-creation? Let's listen to another little excerpt. This time it's Tarwin Southern, who quickly rose to fame and then dropped out of fame again by releasing <laughs> a song composed by AI. Um, so she used artificial intelligence to compose the music and then wrote the lyrics uh, and vocal melodies Herself. Let's have a quick listen to an excerpt of that. What isn't real? I wish I could imagine. Imagine, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> could you imagine working in that way, Pat, as a musician? <laughs> um, look, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff to be done with collaborations between AI and people. Um, it's a space that I personally work in, and but in a somewhat different way. I'm I'm interested in in how AI can push you into different directions. How to how it can take you out of your comfort zone. It might expose things that you've been doing that you're not aware of. This kind of music creation, yeah, it seems about as exciting as making pop music generally. Yeah, pretty much. I just it sounds like Taylor Swift to me. Sounds Don't like it was trained on Taylor, Taylor. Swift. Huh? Sorry. What'd you say? Don't say that about Taylor. Oh, you love Taylor Swift, don't you? I don't hate her, but I mean, it just sounds like it was trained on Taylor Swift. But so, but if you are a fan of that genre of music, do you think uh, you would be worried or upset or consider it less musical to know that it wasn't a human? I mean, but, computers are involved in music production yeah. so much but these pop days. music is so, there's no like author is in the same way. Well, like, there's usually a whole a, a team of people. band of authors. Yeah, I, I think, though, that these days a lot of people aren't aware of how many songwriters there are on a song that they like. Um, I mean, if you look yeah, like exactly. at, a, 
a Bruno Mars track can have eight to 12 mm. songwriters listed, listed on it. And a lot of people st- still call it Bruno Mars' song. Exactly, yeah. Um, so it's right for automation then. Yeah. AI could replace all those big chains. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with AI being involved in pop music because I don't feel any differently about how it is at the moment. It doesn't sound like you care about pop music no. very much. <laughs> but what about music that you do care about? I can't really see. I can't see that working. People generally have a natural tendency to, you know, be skeptical about something that's not human doing a human thing. Yeah, I just think for when I really am a fan of some kind of music artist. A big part of it is like the personality and then the, also the lyrics and yeah, just kind of what I, it's just relatable. Like when I really, it's not just about the music, but it's about like me actually being a fan. So these examples that we've been playing, the AI is kind of writing the music for them in the way that a, that a contemporary pop artist might get a whole team of writers to write a track for them. And then that person is still contributing to the artistry, I guess, through their voice or through performance yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's it is sort of co-creational, but it's it's kind of a lot of the intellectual heavy lifting is being shifted from a you know an anonymous bank of songwriters to an anonymous bank of servers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we better move on. We want to listen to a a little uh, track now. It's a it's it's a recording of a live track that's done with some software that Pat's been working on. So let's just have a listen to that, and then Pat, maybe you can talk us through a little bit about how it was made and and what you're trying to achieve with it. Sure. <laughs> So tell us a bit about that track and how it was made and some of the technology behind it. This was put together kind of as a, as a, a proof of concept for creating a, a drum improviser that an improvising musician might be able to practice along or perform along with. Uh, my background as a saxophonist, um, spending hours a day in a practice room, practicing to improvise by myself. <laughs> um, and it always felt to me that one of the challenges was to get out of just repeating things that you've done before, getting out of muscle memory um, and to, you know, have like really creative thinking. Um, and something that I always thought would help that was to have some kind of other input um, that was different and new and changing and exciting, but you don't always have other people to play with. Mm-hmm. It's not as good as a person and it's not trying to take the role as a person, but it's having a useful function in the practice of creative musicians and especially improvisers. So we were fortunate enough uh, in this project to um, get two electronic drum kits from uh, Roland, mm. uh, the big electronic music company. And we brought in some drummers and some melodic instrumentalists and got them to improvise together and we recorded those sessions in um, both symbolic so MIDI and audio and then started playing around with some some neural nets to see if we could get some drums to generate along with the audio input of a melodic musician and yeah that that, that was uh, a fairly small amount of data set as far as deep learning goes and we're using a temporal convolutional network model um, and we've yeah, I think it turned out okay. So <laughs> one, one of the things I think that was interesting, the insights that you got was not just the performance data that you got from the musicians, but uh, the sort of metadata that was associated with it. Do you want to tell us a bit about some of the insights that the musicians themselves had about working in this way? 
Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of concern within the music community about AI um, and what it does and, and, and can do. But at the same time, there's also ex- excitement about the possibilities of, of how it could be used as a tool that supports their craft. Um, so definitely getting drummers in and asking them what kind of things would they be interested in having an, an AI system do. Um, and they're very much talking about you know, playing time signatures counter to what they're playing, introducing new different t- types of polyrhythms and, and things like that, which is very different to um, a lot of the, you know, the drum neural net models that you get these these days that, that have been trained on MIDI files that have come off the internet, which aren't performance MIDI files, they're transcriptions of popular tracks, and you very much get like a boom chick boom boom chick <laughs> kind of four four sound out of them, mm. which is cool. But it's it's I'm not sure many musicians are that interested in, in those kind of things. So just on that, and maybe to finish up for today, how long or do you think it's possible to move beyond this kind of uh, you know, I like to call it parasitism, where you're basically just parasiting off human performances and then getting statistical models of them and creating new ones that are like them but not exactly the same, statistically similar. Mm. What about actually, I mean, we, can we ever expect an AI to generate a new genre of music like the way that humans have done? Or is that something that requires too much kind of cultural embedding and social and other other kind of drives, even perhaps what, you know, the Nick Cave quote that you you mentioned before for that you know to even be possible in principle what does everyone think about that no one's uh, got an opinion okay i'm gonna give you um five seconds to think about it while i play the last example which is uh either the most i will no okay i'll reserve judgment till after we've listened to it well, let's listen to that All right, does that thinking music help? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> what were you about to say about it, the most? Oh, I just think it's pretty terrible. <laughs> but, um, I mean, do we really need a whole lot of B-grade AI music yeah. out there? Well, there's already enough bad music out there. That was like there. car ad music. Yeah. I mean, I know people love royalty-free music to put on their YouTube mm. videos yeah. and that kind of thing because they don't want to pay yeah. musicians, but... Is it is it really a worthwhile human endeavor? Sure, it is. No, look, look, it's it's an interesting technical challenge, and interesting technical challenges are, are always something worthwhile to to have a go at. Yeah, Facebook um, started off as an interesting technical challenge. <laughs> sure, and and it it's been a. I mean, it's it's hard to say that it's not a worthwhile thing. Facebook, uh, whether you personally like it or not, and whether it's had some some negative social consequences, it definitely has. <laughs> Yeah. Look, I mean, make the music stuff. If people like it, they'll they'll like it. And if that, mm. you know, I, I personally think that people will always have a place for human created music. And yeah, for me, I know that even if there's is an AI out there that can produce something that sounds like John Coltrane, I still want to pick up my saxophone and play. It has nothing to do with what other people could do or what other mm. computers can do. Mm-hmm. I create music because I enjoy creating music. Um, and I listen to music because I like to see that enjoyment in other people and I want to participate in that experience with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's always going to exist. So yeah. as long as that's still there, yeah, mm. create other stuff. Yeah. Okay, a good way to end, I think. So thanks, Nina. Thanks, Pat. And uh, join us again next week for another Sensilab Creative AI podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.